Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Serie Chronicles is a Media Chronicles production. Hey everybody and welcome to this special commemorative Italy win the Nations League group episode of Sorry, I Chronicles. I'm I'm sorry. I I have I have such I have such jumbled up feelings right now, Mina. It was really nice to see Italy win a couple of games. It was really satisfying to see some rebound, but I'm a little bit with our manager Roberto Mancini right now, and he says, "Let's see if we can survive a difficult December before we uh, enjoy this one too much." But Italy did win, Mina. Italy beat England, Italy beat Hungary, Italy topped the Nations League group. It's as good as you can do from the starting point of total disaster, isn't it? Yeah, it's just funny the way that you're talking about it. Yesterday, I I did a voice note because I was answering a question that we had from a a Patreon member. And and it's kind of like I was like, I was in a really good mood because we just defeated Hungary. And I'm like, it's such a small consolation prize for like, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. It's like when you're about to buy your first house <laughs> or like your first car and someone brings you a toy car and you're like, thank <laughs> like, you. Know, like, that's, that's how I feel. You know? Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's that moment at the end of the game show where it's like, you've got this prize, but here's what you could have won. Here's like, yeah, yeah. And it's like the, here's our like actual the, the holiday, <laughs> the, the everything, the dream of life. And you've got like this, you know, washing machine. <laughs> and then it's still cool, but it's not like your dream house and car and everything else to boot, you know? And the way that you started yeah. the show as well, you would have thought that we won the world. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was teasing a little bit. I was teasing a little bit. I think actually, um, uh, that was a joke I made on Twitter. Not even this time around. Like last time, things that were in the nation, Nations League. And I've always said that the Nations League is, uh, is where you really decide. Um, oh, I can't remember how I phrase it now. I was making a joke about the fact that um, <laughs> people always joke about um, 
club teams, the real measure of a team is the league and not the cup. Well, you know, the real measure of an international team is the Nations League, not the World Cup, whatever that is. Gee, I wonder if a European will even win the World Cup. Pardon me, I think this is going to go to South America this time around. That is a whole separate conversation. And look, you know, I'm going to enjoy the World Cup when it comes around in lots of ways because there's lots of fascinating stories to to to, to think about there. I was enjoying Are there, Nikki? Are there? No, there are. There are. I was enjoying Jonathan Wilson writing in The Guardian just today about Leo Messi and whether or not this is his last, last, last chance to, to make it happen. You know, those are fun stories to watch, but it's not Italy. And we're here to talk about Italy, Mina. Yes. So let's let's talk about our beach. I guess that's... I don't even know how to do these games, whether to do them separately or just to talk about them together and, and the things that happened. Because there are certain sort of the big themes kind of run through both of them. Um, for me, I think big themes that jumped out from these games, um, Roberto Mancini going back to, or not even going back to, going to the, the back three, three, five, two, like that classic sort of Italian, I guess in the current era, the classic Italian system, abandoning that system that got them to the Euros and perhaps he should have abandoned sooner in, in World Cup qualifying getting the most out of that and then, you know, getting the most out of individual players who have points to prove, like Raspadori and Di Marco players who, who really stood out in these games. What were, what were your standout, I guess, your standout thoughts on these games? What was the, what's the first thing that you want to talk about off the back of these games, Mina? What's the thing that you think is in your head? Like, this was my big observation. Well, I was kind of going through a bit of an existential crisis because I'm not exactly sure, not existent. I mean, I really do have a flair for the dramatics. <laughs> I was trying to figure out why I love Di Marco so much, but Teo Hernandez annoys me because they <laughs> both sort of, and I, I'm like, why, why does this happen? Like one of the things that I was always scared about with Teo is that I think that he always takes such big risks defensively, but it doesn't matter because he's so amazing going forward. But for some reason, I'm all right with DiMarco doing it. <laughs> and, I, and I can't figure out why. Yeah. So I was trying to, you know, like sort of, I really, really, really enjoy DiMarco. I mean, I enjoyed him a lot when he was at Hellas Verona. I think that, you know, I just feel like this is a player that just continues to grow, doesn't care about anything that's ever said about him or any criticisms or where he's playing or who's his coach or what the formation is or how he just manages to always provide vintage DiMarco performances. And I'm, he's just one of the few players that I feel has an identity and maintains that identity throughout club, playing for the national team. He's just a player that I, I'm just, I'm so glad for him that he won his, uh, that he scored the 1,500th Italian goal. Um, I thought he was brilliant. I really loved our wing play. And I think that that's going to be so important going forward. I thought Di Lorenzo you know, I always talk a lot about Calabria, but Di Lorenzo has been fantastic. Really, he has been for Napoli mm. and for Italy. And I think even as backups, there's Lazzari as well and Spinazzola in the f- coming back. And, and I feel like that, that's a position that we've got nailed down. I feel like Raspadori, it's such a good thing that he's playing with Spalletti. You know, I feel like he's just, he's only going to grow. He's only going to get better. And perhaps, perhaps we might resolve this whole, like, we don't have a striker. He's, you know, maybe not the, the finisher um, that can guarantee, but he's right now he's outscored everyone else up front. I love that Notto is getting a chance to prove himself, even though he wasn't brilliant against Hungary, you know, but I, I still feel like he does enough and he's opportunistic enough to, to, be, to warrant a place in this national team, especially considering all the absences. 
Noto, I feel, has been, you know, he didn't have a great game against Hungary, fine, but I'm I'm just so glad he's included. I feel like we're just a little bit more, perhaps he needs a little bit of an education in, in certain, like, you know, positioning and stuff, which I'm sure he will get at Leeds, you know, even if it's not an Italian coach in charge. But anyway, <laughs> but otherwise, I I feel good things, you know. But then again, I look at sort of, England are just psycholo- were psychologically blocked when they played us. And I feel like they sort of popped their cherry against Germany. <laughs> and Hungary, really, they shouldn't be in first position anyway when we played them. So I don't know whether it's just a, me being really happy, but when you put it into context, it's a little bit like, you know, the, the way that the countries have dealt with this competition is the way that Italy deals with the European competition. Like, yeah, whatever, we'll try our best, but nothing special, you know? And so I don't know whether to be excited or not. Yeah, I, I feel like I've introduced all this very sloppily. And, and forgive us, audience, because we're recording at a bit of a different time to normal. That's my fault. I've got some work going on at my house. So I forced everyone to record late at night or early in the morning for producer Simon. So apologies for this. But I've, I should have probably said, just to, in case anyone listening picks this up and is like, I don't know what they're talking about. Italy played two Nations League games in the last week since we last recorded. Uh, they beat England 1-0 at uh, San Siro and then they beat Hungary 2-0 uh, in Hungary and they therefore won the Nations League group go through to the semi-finals that is the full context of what just happened just in case that was uh, missing for anyone also this is going to be our monthly free to download episode every month we're going to just do one episode that is free to download for everyone and um, this is the one this this month um, so Thank you, everyone, all of our Patreon supporters for, for backing us. It's so, so appreciated. And everyone who's not, maybe you'll enjoy this episode and think about coming along with them for the rest of it. But sorry to do that little bit of admin that I should have done at the top of the show, Mina. <laughs> yeah, I, I think let's, let's talk about the games sort of separately because I think that's worth doing. I completely agree with your point about how other teams were viewing these games. And I talked about that a little bit in my um, voice note at the end of last week, you know, it was very odd context, these games, because for England, for Germany, for Hungary, like these games have different contexts for everyone, right? But it's, it's for England, it's, it's without question, it's, it's a World Cup tune-up game. It's a luxury World Cup tune-up game to play against Italy, a team that have beaten you in the Euros final, who are, despite failing to qualify for the World Cup, a good team in a competitive setting. That's how England are viewing this game. And I think there's a whole thesis to be written on everything that's wrong with England and the fact that they weren't able to use better performance. And I think that plenty of of journalists in in England have written those theses. So I don't necessarily want to sort of go into like a huge detour onto that. That's that's for other reporters to cover. But England were poor and and some of the decisions boggle the mind a bit. I mean, I think Vikayo Tomori is not playing as well this season as he did last season, but I still don't understand why you don't want to involve a player who's so used to playing against these specific opponents in this game. It, it seems like madness to me. Can I just... But um, certainly... No, do jump in. I don't know if this sounds weird because I'm, I don't know whether there's conspiracy blood running through my veins because my mom is like the number one conspiracy theorist in the world. <laughs> but I, <laughs> there is a part of me that thinks Harry Maguire is paying people <laughs> to start <laughs> games. Okay. Like we have always constantly either hearing why the poor fellas just playing in a bad team or, you know, like Gareth Southgate still believes in it. And poor Fikayo Jomori is like, he pulls out performance after performance and the guy can't break in. And I just think, why is Maguire starting? And he gave away a penalty. Yeah. Anyway, <sighs> that's something else. 
by the by. <laughs> but but sort of take all that context and, and put it wherever you want it. But accepting that England are the team that is through to the World Cup and Italy aren't, I think we can also say that Italy were, were clearly the, the better team in this game. It wasn't, um, that doesn't mean they were brilliant because I think the Italian performance had plenty of sort of gaps in it. But considering this an Italy team that was without Bastoni, who is probably the only sort of young Italian centre-back who we're really excited about right now. So no Bastoni at the back, no Tonali in midfield, no Chiesa up front, no Zaniola behind him, no, I mean, this one's probably a bit more questionable. You could say not, yeah, no Immobile as well. Like this is an, this is an Italy team that's missing lots of, of sort of high profile parts. Verratti, Locatelli. Yeah, Verratti, of course. And, and, and still was, was the better team on the pitch without question, in my opinion. And I do think that's sort of a testament to a few things. I do think that, as I mentioned a while ago, I think Mancini's decision to go back to 3-5-2 in these games was, was a sensible one. And I think this is one of the things that I do want to hone in on, because actually, I think we talked about it even when Italy failed to qualify. We talked about the context being different to last time Italy failed to qualify for a World Cup, because last time everyone and their dog knew that Giampiero Ventura was a problem, that he was doing a bad job the players didn't believe in him and he had to go. When Mancini failed, there was this sort of disconnect almost where everyone was incredibly disappointed, felt like the team had blown it, which they did, but wasn't willing to go to blaming the manager. And I think what you saw in this game or these two games is a bit of why, because I think Mancini, for most of his tenure, not to say there haven't been mistakes, because I think he is, carries his share of the blame for failing to qualify, absolutely. But what he has done for most of his tenure so well, in my opinion, is to take the best of what is there in Serie A. He looks at Serie A and he goes, well, what's the best of what's happening in Serie A right now? And take that into your national team. And at the Euros, that was the sort of more enterprising elements that were happening in Serie A, that willingness to, to play in a more attacking, possession-based way, taken from teams, I know you'll hate this, Mina, like Sassuolo with Deserbi but also taken from teams like Atalanta, taken from teams that were doing that in Europe for Italy. And then I think this was almost an acceptance that that, that wave is currently not the one that's in the ascendant. What's currently in the ascendant in Serie A is the sort of more recently classical Italian 3-5-2 and take your man on all over the pitch, which is still taking something from teams like Atalanta, but it's also taking something not in the positional part of it, but in, in the play style of, of Pioli's Milan. It's taking bits from these teams that are the teams that are succeeding in Italy. And I think that's my favorite thing about Mancini is that he isn't so locked into one thing, that he is blinded by it. And I think that the flip side of that coin is, I do think in the qualifying campaign, the World Cup qualifying campaign, he got too attached to the team that won the Euros. And I think if he'd made this decision a tiny bit earlier, maybe we'd have a different outcome in the qualifying campaign as well. I'll be honest with you, Roberto Mancini, for me, has disappointed me a lot for not qualifying. And I do think he deserves a lot of the blame for it. I think that what made Italy so exciting coming up to the Euros was the fact that he was bold and courageous with his choices, the amount of rookies that he used, the, the faith that he had in style. He wasn't in any rush. And it was there was no pressure because everyone knew the situation in Italy, the, the, the lack of time given to youngsters who, again, I will also say deserve some of the blame for always choosing to go to Serie C rather than moving abroad. But I love the fact that 
no one expected Italy to even reach the semifinals of the Euros. And I think that he rode that wave really well. And I think that he is somebody who is really bright in some of his substitutions, in his choices, in his ability to be flexible. And I think that he did a, a really, really good job. Like they were playing stunning football. They were depending on youth. It started to go wrong when he, what I didn't like is that when he lost his pillars, right? Like he depends on like this ability to possess the ball and then have your vertical points in Spinazzola and Chiesa. And then when he lost that, he didn't know how to adjust to it. And frankly speaking, for me, the way that Gareth Southgate started that match for England in the final, had he been just somewhat capable of making a substitution that makes a difference, I do think that they could have easily trashed Italy in the final. Like there was a lot of like lucky moments. I'm going to be honest, you know, against, again, against Spain, Italy were not the better team. They probably shouldn't have been in the final. And then when they reached the final, they faced a really good side, had it not been for Southgate's horrific decision-making. So that's when I was like, hmm, maybe he's not the the guy that I think is like perfectly in tune with everything that's happening in the team. But you know what? He won it. He deserves all the credit for regenerating a whole like, you know, team, the way that we feel about the national team, the excitement, the belief in youth. And now, I mean, like he's even introduced Mazzocchi who gave him the 52nd debut to a kid, you know, like, well done to you. Like, he is still that guy. And he's gone back to being that guy because he's learned from the failure of not qualifying. But it is holding on to players like Jorginho, who I just feel like at this point in time needs to maybe be a little bit shifted away. I struggle because this was a really bad England side. And the fact that Hungary was topping the table tells you how everything has been approached. And I still think, you know, he's done better in this Nations League, but there, he does a lot of mistakes that sometimes I wonder to myself, like, let's be honest, had it not been for Donnarumma, would we have won 2-0 against Hungary? Well, let's move, let's move on to the Hungary game. I mean, I, yeah, I, just to sort of, we, we can't go back and, re, and re-discuss just completely the World Cup in, in sort of massive detail. But just to offer the counterpoint, I would argue that... I guess it was more about Mancini. Like you were talking about how yeah. he's grown and I guess my feeling is not really... And I need him to stay bold, to stay believing in this. But I have a feeling as soon as Verratti's back, goodbye, you know, back to like going with Immobile, Verratti, you know, Insignia will be called back from Canada. I have this feeling. And then I'll cry. Well, yeah. And, it, and if he does go that way, I'll be disappointed. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't mean it to, to stop you from, from, from saying what you already said. I just meant like, because I, I disagree with you a bit on the, on the Euro stuff, but I'm also like, if I start disagreeing with you too much, we're going to be talking all about games that happened months ago rather than the games that happen now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I absolutely agree with what you just said about the Hungry Game in one sense, that without Donnarumma, it doesn't end 2-0. I, I do think, because I saw sort of one of the sort of narratives of this game, people will love to pull up ex, um, expected goals these days and expected goals mm. came up. And yes, like Donnarumma made like two expected goals worth of saves, basically, which was was something remarkable. But at the same time, if you want to observe things always from that sort of slightly nudely perspective of, of statistics, the expected goals were basically exactly even up to the point when Italy went 2-0 up. It was only after Italy went 2-0 up that Hungary had all those chances. So it wasn't like it was a game that Hungary had all these chances when it was nil-nil. It was Hungary got 2-0 down and then threw everything at them. And yeah, they, they were unlucky not to score there in the end. And that's one of the, the narratives that I did want to pick up on from this game actually is Donnarumma, who's 
been on his own weird journey since the Euros. I mean, don't forget, you know, he was literally the player of the tournament in the Euros. He goes off to Paris Saint-Germain and we do talk and criticize sometimes Italians for not being brave enough and taking those moves abroad. He does take the brave move. He goes abroad to Paris Saint-Germain. But there's brave and there's stupid. And I think going to a club that had Keila Navas already that was not making a plan to say goodbye to Keila Navas was just not the right decision for a player like Donnarumma, who is a very talented keeper. I think even in these two games reminded us of the flaws in his game, which is this almost sort of contradiction in him of being a giant. I mean, he's huge. And yet his biggest weakness in his game is crosses in the air, right? Like he's actually just a great on the line <laughs> goalkeeper who can make those stops. Sorry, I just hit a, a spoon hanging out my teacup. But he makes those great on the line stops. But actually sometimes he gets lost at crosses and you think you look like you should be the opposite of that. You look like you should be too big to get down sometimes those incredible stops you make at your ankles. Why can't you make this, the, that sort of slightly more commanding presence in the box? But absolutely reminded us in these games that he can be world, world-class goalkeeper. And perhaps if he had been al altezza, if he'd been at the top of his game like this in the World Cup qualifying run, that would have made the difference. You know, if he'd been on top of his game in that World Cup qualifying run, and I don't mean to single him out in that way, because I think you could do that with almost every player in Italy starting yeah. 11, right? If Jorginho just scores penalties. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's one element of the story, right? Like it's one element of the story. And I do think Donnarumma's move to Paris Saint-Germain ultimately has hurt Italy quite a lot. Actually, I don't. I know this sounds crazy, but I think it was great. I, I think that we're expecting too much from a kid, you know, like he is world class. But there have been so many moments in which even Buffon, like it, in his very experienced years, would pull out some terrible mistakes and it would be like a row of them, you know, like consecutive ones. And, and I do think that Donnarumma sort of ha- was so brilliant for so long that we just expected that he was going to continue to do that. But it is a journey. And I'm really, I personally think it's wonderful that he went to PSG. Yes, you're right. Not choosing consistency, not choosing that ability to always be first and being, being, played as that and having to rotate with someone who's as good as Keylor Navas, right? But he did play in the Champions League. And to be embarrassed like that by Real Madrid, an Italian coach in Carlo Ancelotti who understood his flaws better than any other opposition coach, by the way. And the one thing he did was pressure Donnarumma when he was on the ball to commit that foul and obviously change the game around. That very interesting thing happened in England. That's what they were trying to do to Donnarumma and he knew how to deal with it which means that he's already picked up on a weakness and corrected it. That might have not happened anywhere else, but it happened in the Champions League and he got the experience from that. And I feel that has somewhat paved the way for him to grow and learn. And this is why we need our players to not play in Serie B, but to go out and play in games that matter. So to go to whatever it is, like Notto going to Leeds, perhaps he'll play in the FA Cup, perhaps he'll, whatever it is. I think that's valuable experience because even if you make a mistake, it's about how you come back from these mistakes. And you could see that they were targeting Donnarumma for these specific things that had happened and Ancelotti had picked up on. And he reacted brilliantly to it. And he has reacted brilliantly to all the criticism of last season. And that is what makes me feel like now we really do have a goalkeeper for the, for like, for the next 20 years, you know, maybe not that long, but you know what I mean? And I, I personally love that about him, but I, I also, 
feel like this is, has been a great time for interplays. Like I thought Barella was really good. I thought Acerbi was fantastic. And I hope that they can take that and shove it all on Barcelona and the Champions League and get that win, you know, for, for Inzaghi. Because I was thinking like, this is, you know, Bonucci really did a, a slam dunk in the face of Allegri who decided to leave him out against Monza. Like what a, what a tremendous performance from Bonucci, you know, so clean, mm. so perfect. And I feel like this was a great way to rejuvenate some of the players who perhaps are like a little bit down and out when it comes to their club football. And, but I just want to, I love that there were changes there. I love that we saw Mazzocchi getting his his debut. I love that Notto was chosen, Skamaka was taken off or whatever it is, you know. I, I love that obviously Raspadori can continue his beautiful journey that he started at Napoli. And I think, oh God, oh God Spalletti is going to turn him into a, like a superstar. But I, I do want to go back to this point in the sense that he better continue doing that. Like, again, not choosing Zaniolo, it, it upsets me, you know, but I think, okay, fine, you have your reasonings for it. He just, sometimes he just ends up being a little bit stubborn about things. And you said, you know, again, they went 2-0 down and then Hungary threw everything at them. Okay, so that means you took your foot off the gas. And you said this is a team that always continues to be on the front foot. That's what Mancini's, you know, mantra is. And he was really annoyed at the fact they did take their foot off. But there is still that part of Italy where you're not sure whether you can depend on them for 90 minutes. And so it's like carrying all the problems of Serie A, like for Inter and Juventus, and it's being carried into their blood right now, you know? Mm. So I just want to make sure that he continues being bold, that it's meritocracy, that eventually we do see more and more like, you know, of the other players and not necessarily always counting on Jorginho and Verratti. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not a fan of Verratti, so I personally prefer Italy without him. And I just really hope that the likes of Lorenzo Insigne and Ciro Immobile are not again going to be the players that we have to depend on when it when it comes time to qualifying for the Euros. I don't think that Insigne is going to ever have his role back in the way that it was in team. That's my personal sus- suspicion, but I could be wrong. Do you know what's great about making this show with Mina and um, everyone is that sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, she says things and I'm like, oh yeah, actually I didn't think of things that way. And I think what she just said about Donnarumma, I was like, oh yeah, did, I didn't think of things that way. And that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> you do that with me all the time. Maybe I've been wrong all along and actually his um, his long-term growth is, is served by having this rougher time at PSG in the short term. Um, speaking of things that we don't necessarily agree on though, um, Mina was talking about Di Marco earlier. I do think we need to talk about him a little bit more for someone who's just such a, a standout in these games, or at least I want to talk about him because I didn't before. I think a lot of people in England came away from that England game saying, oh, who's this guy? He looks really impressive. And I, I definitely think I'm in the opposite camp with Di Marco where I like, I don't dislike him. I don't, I don't, don't hate him. Oh, interesting. I, 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 I don't think he's special. I think he's, I think really? he's got... I really, I think he's a, he's a lovely crosser of the ball for sure. And there's mm-hmm, something very old fashioned mm-hmm. about that, especially in a three, five, two. It's like, Hey, here's someone who will just hug that sideline for you, crosses the ball very well. And he's a good work ethic, right? right? Like he's going to, to put the time in. I appreciate and, and think it's, it's really encouraging that Inzaghi has given him all the opportunities that he has, that he's turned him into this key part of the Inter team. And it's nice to see Italians given that opportunity on Italians. But, I don't think he's special. I think he's just fine. I think he's not a good defender. I think he's not a good defender at all. No, he's terrible. As which defender. you can get away with when he's played at wing back. At Inter, sometimes he does play in that back three. And I think he's not, he's not good as a defender in the back three. But 
I I think he's he's not a good defender, and I think he's not he hasn't got fantasia for me. He hasn't got magic. Like he hasn't got something that you're like, oh wow, he's going to beat men with his technique and, and and talent. He's just a good crosser of the ball who work quite hard for you, which is useful. I'm not saying it's not useful, but I'm I'm not I'm not on board with Demarco Mania. I'm afraid. I think it's that's that's about as far as I can take him. Is that? Wait, can I ask you a question? Like, so Spinazzola, do you see Fantasia in Spinazzola? I think Spinazzola is, is also not a special player. He's, he's, you know, probably in some ways quite similar. He's, he's in the detail, a little bit different in terms of how he carries the ball, the way he, the decisions he makes on the ball. But in the end, he's another high work ethic, not technically elite player. He's, you know, okay. his, his, his selling points are that he's, you know, he'll put the work in and he can be quite fast. I definitely agree with you on the technicality point. I think neither of them are that. So definitely, yeah. I think there's a there's something missing in terms of beautiful technique in, 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 in both of them. Which actually is kind of the whole point all the way through that the great overarching point from the Euros to here to failing to qualify for the World Cup is Italy have some good things going on, right? There's some good in this Italy team that sometimes shows up and you go, oh, wow, that was good. But special footballers in this Italy team Maybe Donnarumma when he's on. Yeah. Um, Bonucci has been, but he's at the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, Chiesa. Then there's, yeah, Chiesa was, but he's been injured for such a long time. We haven't seen we him in a long know. time. Yeah. Zaniola wasn't here for these games and Pellegrini wasn't here for these games. I'm not sure if Pellegrini is special. I like him, but I don't know if he's in that category. Oh, he's not consistent. Not sure if Zaniola is, to be fair, but they're players with the potential. Bastoni has the potential, I think, but we'll see. Tonali has the potential, we'll see. But a lot of these players weren't there for these games. Um, so it isn't a specialty group still. So what you're saying is Italy is relatively mediocre, but they do very well with that in terms of like, they push And above. that's why I like Mancini. I think Mancini in the end is not working with an elite group compared to some right. of, of, of it, the world's biggest players. And I think, you know, that's maybe the one other player who we definitely should say a couple more words on without running forever on this um, conversation, because I'm aware that we're already very running along, I thought. But Raspadori, Mina, are you buying Raspadori stock at right now? Are you, are you all in on Raspadori or are you no, God, no. still waiting and no, seeing? No, God, no, no. It's so early, like, as in, I need to see so much more, you know? Yeah. But my God, that's a really great point. In my head, I just think, you see, this is when you make me think, because I'm like, yeah, you're right. The, the squad's pretty rubbish, actually. <laughs> like, in, like, there's not, there isn't a player there that I'm like, is truly world class, right? Like you no. have like one or two, all of them being Juve guys. I'm joking. <laughs> like, <laughs> boy, everyone's going to come for me. Like, you know, I don't know, for, for people, it's Verratti, right? The one that I, I don't want there. But like, yeah, Immobile. You look at the rest of the mid, like I guess Barilla maybe. I don't, you're right. Yeah, you're actually right. certainly on the, on the verge yeah. of that. Yeah. Some of these guys hopefully will we'll get to see more of and they'll prove what they are and they aren't in the Champions League, right? You know, we're seeing Raspadori in the Champions League now. We're seeing Barilla in the Champions League more and more. We're seeing Tonali in the Champions League. So these players have their opportunity. Raspadori, I think there are some people who are crazy for him. Last season, I was definitely not in the fully convinced category and I'm still not, but I do think in terms of a footballer who I like the moves they're making, yeah, go to Napoli, play these big games, play in the Champions League, score the goals. He has had a great month scoring, yeah, his first Champions League goal, his first goals for Napoli and Serie A before that. And now two goals in two games for the national team. It's the right moves. 
we'll see what yeah, but time. I just on the point of Raspadori, I just want to point out that I do like that he plays for the team. I appreciate how much he mm. tries to do for the team. He's not somebody who looks for his goals. He looks for how he can help the team, which is exactly the kind of things that I look for in my striker. So he might not be the world's greatest finisher. He might not be in the level of Haaland or even Vlaovic if he ever gets there. But, you know, but he is somebody that I, I really appreciate his hard work for the team. And I think that's what I love the most about this Italian side. Di Marco, I like that he works so hard. I like that he's always himself. I like that he can play different formations and adjusts well to that, you know. So it's more about the spirit shown by the players than I guess the, the level of technique that's being shown right now. You're starting from the lowest low that you can have, right? Italy missed out on the World Cup. So you're starting from there. From that starting point, winning the Nations League group was as good as you could ask for. And it was not an easy group, even if we can say England weren't as good as they should have been, Germany weren't as good as they should have been. That was the group of death on paper and Italy won it. That's the best you can ask them to do. Yeah. They go through to the final four. The final four includes Spain, Croatia and the Netherlands. So it'll be an interesting uh, final four and congratulations to Spain on winning. No, I'm only joking. Congratulations to Italy on winning uh, the, uh, the the final when it comes around. You know, it'll be Spain. <laughs> And it will be Morata just as just to screw with us. Oh know? my god, won't it? Anche lui braccato non può far altro che distribuire in orizzontale per Bonucci. Parte il lancio in profondità per Raspadori. Raspadori, grande aggancio in area a sinistra di Marco, centralmente Pobega, Raspadori, destro, rete! E siamo avanti noi, esattamente al ventitresimo minuto nel corso del primo tempo, del secondo tempo a San Siro. L'Italia in vantaggio, Jack Raspadori non ha avuto pietà, ha messo palla sul destro dopo aver controllato il lancio lunghissimo di Bonucci. Mina, since we've got a non Serie A round, um, we thought we might get a few questions in from the Chronicles Tifosi, but before we do that, Let's say hello to some new Chronicles Tifosi, some new people we've had sign up to the Patreon in the last week. The Patreon keeps growing. Thank you everyone who is signing up. It's really amazing um, watching the, the support that you guys are, are giving us since we went behind the paywall. As we said at the time, wasn't our first choice. It was the choice that we had to make, but we really, really appreciate everyone's support. So thank you to everyone who's done it. Mina, let's, let's split the list as we always do. I like, by the way, that more and more people are just giving us one name because they know we <laughs> yeah. like it. So. Thank you, Jake, for signing up. Uh, thank you to Benedict Erikstad Jivorovic, who's gone the opposite direction by giving me three names that I'm scared to say. <laughs> Quite like that, do. <laughs> then we've got David S. and just David. Ooh. Then we've got Tyler Fiola, Alex Ferry, and Johan Sharma. Then we've got just Dave. I love that. Dave. We've got David S., David, and just Dave. <laughs> Paul Webb, welcome. Lisa, who's just Lisa. Hello. Lisa, I wonder if you're the Lisa who submitted a question, but if you are, great question. Adrian Gardner and Daniel Knorr. I'll just tell you something because in my home, we really like chicken soup when we're in a, like a, you know, chicken broth <laughs> soup. And Knorr was the chicken broth. And my sister used to call it Knorr. So like, that's how we know it was like soup time. So if you are from that family, thank you so much. You are part of so much of our like family time soups. But do subscribe at seriachronicles.com forward slash Patreon to be part of the gang. And then you can get your name and a shout out. And if you come from any of those big families like KFC and Knorr. <laughs> 
As I was to say, we're heading into winter. So if any Knoll or any other soup sponsor want to sponsor us and send some soup, that's absolutely yes, fine. It's already freezing in London. We went from like oh 30 God, degrees so to like 15 in the space of two weeks. Honestly, how this stuff happens. Right. Uh, let's let's have a, a quick look ahead, Mina, um, to the return of City Other Games we've got coming up this weekend. There's there's a few standout fixtures um for certain. Um, but I think the the one that jumps right off the page to me is Inter at home to Roma. And Inter are going to be missing Marcelo Brozovic. Probably that's of the standout injury Serie A wise of of the international round. Um Mina is this is a precarious time, isn't it? Inter struggling a little bit to start this season, losing Brozovic right now and then going into a big game like this. How how worried should we be for Inzaghi? Oh, I just feel like this is the worst timing. Like just as he's trying to like, you know, collect the team and change things going forward and kind of get back that winning mentality. I mean, you go and lose the player that basically like his absence was perhaps the worst period for Inter last season. And and during that time, I would say that that's when they lost the Scudetto. And to lose him now, I just think, oh, and the way that it was handled, you can, I totally understand why Inter as a club are really annoyed at Croatia, you know? So, but it is what it is. They're out there without him. They do have players that can fill that role. And actually, like, Gazette has gone through all of it. But I really want to point out there was a comment underneath <laughs> <laughs> me is gone oh, really obviously I don't need any company I just entertained myself but there was this comment <laughs> many yeah that really just made me laugh because it was all like you know is he gonna play like um is he gonna play Mkhitaryan is he gonna play Chananoglu as a director and Mkhitaryan ahead of him or can we rely on Ch- Chananoglu or will Aslani finally be given a chance but Nzagi doesn't think he's ready and then the comment underneath is Stop analysing and wasting all your time. You just know it's Gagliardini. <laughs> and I just thought, God, how sad if it's Gagliardini. Do you know what I mean? You know? Um, but like, I really hope that we can see Aslani. But it was just a really funny comment because you can tell it's a really frustrated Inter fan, you know? And I really hope Inzaghi doesn't do that because that he is, he's just going to, he's going to convince me more and more that he is acting from a place of fear, you know? I hope that he shows us the courage and actually chooses Aslani or I would like to see Mkhitaryan and Chalanoglu together. So that would be interesting. But I think it's a huge loss. So yeah, especially when you're playing Barcelona, right? To not have your best midfielder on the ball, such bad timing. Yeah, absolutely. The midweek European games also loom large. I mean, from the Roma side as well, they did lose Swashan to right before the international break. It's a big game for them. It's a chance to make a statement against Inter. Of course, it is once again Mourinho back at his old stomping ground. I think it's it's a really uh, compelling game that that I'm looking forward to this weekend. Um, some other games that are coming up include Napoli against Torino. That's the opener to the round. And um, obviously Napoli, the pace setters so far in Serie A, will they come back and hit the ground running again? Atalanta, who are right up there alongside them at the top, are at home to Fiorentina. And Juventus, uh, needing to, to get some wins on the board, go at home to Bologna, who of course are just in the beginning of their new manager bounce. Mina, minutes before we started recording uh, this podcast, I think um, it was Filip Kostic setting up Dusan Vlaovic. It works at the international level, Mina. Is uh, is this going to follow over for Allegri at Juventus or is is it just not right? 
in Turin. I just want to point out to our listeners that there's a culture of bullying over here. <laughs> our producer was like, it's ask a- Mina about Kostic and Vlaovic. And, and Nikki's like, don't worry, I already had this noted. <laughs> Look at the attacks, you know. That's not even a lie, that's true. <laughs> just so you know what I'm dealing with, okay? This is what I'm dealing with. <laughs> yes, Kostic set up Vlaovic, Vlaovic scored, it's all Allegri's fault, you know. Can I just tell you that even when it came to looking at like, you know, um, what do you call Pajel? Uh, Pajel. The report cards for the players. Yeah. There was even a dig about Allegri on that. And I was like, Jesus Christ, you know, um, like for one of the national team, when it was against Hungary, I, I don't know who it was, but so much better. Oh yeah, Bonucci, so much better for Italy than he ever is for Juve under Allegri or something along those lines, you know? Yes. Um, Hopefully that will follow suit in the match against Bologna. But knowing Allegri, they probably won't have any idea of what they're doing. Maybe, maybe this time away, maybe, you know, we can see a little bit more excitement um, against Bologna. But this is really like, I, I envisage another loss, to be honest with you. I've just hit the well on that. Um, so I'll probably watch Atalanta Fiorentina because it's going to be really fun to watch Atalanta defend and Fiorentina try to attack but not score. So <laughs> um, that's that's all I can say to you is I hope Vlaovic actually lives up to his potential because we definitely know he's got the talent. It's just about whether or not Allegri maybe unleashes it or he tries a little bit harder with Milik. I don't know. On that note, there's a really great interv- interview with Luca Toni in Gazetta in which he talks about Blaovic. And he mentions a lot of the points that I was mentioning, which is why I think it's a brilliant interview. Um, so please read it because he talks about, you know, the jump up and the mentality level, why it can be hard for strikers to play for clubs like Juventus, what he needs to do, whether Milik is too similar to him. So it's really good. If, so if you have a chance, do definitely read that interview. Great shout from Mina. And Let's go on to the uh, question from uh, Lisa in Germany, who uh, is one of our uh, Chronicles to um Patreon supporters. I had a question that we thought was interesting this week that we could talk about. Lisa asks, uh, when speaking about Milan and Giroud recently, a TV pundit here in Germany said that these old guys like Giroud can only score in Serie A. What do you make of this talk that Serie A is slow and the only place where older strikers can still thrive? If I look at the Milan-Napoli match, it was such a high-paced match. I don't really understand where this view of a slow Serie A comes from. Or do you think the Milan-Napoli match would be an average match in the Premier League? Then again, both Inter and Napoli were able to beat Liverpool in the Champions League. Good point, Lisa. Um, <laughs> where do you think the top four or five teams in City Hour end up in the Premier League? Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Lisa, for the question. As um, a few bits to that question, Mina, I don't know where you want to start with it because that last part of the question is a bit separate to the question maybe about Giroud and about the pace of City Hour. You know, I have this discussion with myself all the time about the pace of Serie A. I, and I don't know why it matters, if that makes sense. I know it's something that people love to mm-hmm. focus on. I think the Bundesliga, for one thing, is probably faster than all the other leagues. I mean, I think like sometimes when I watch it, I think it's faster than the Premier League. I don't know what's going on most of the time, you know. It's like everything's in fast motion. But I don't necessarily think that is... 
you see, we equate a fast and quick temper with really good football, with attacking football, with modern football, and now just tons of goals and lots of wins. But I find a lot of the time that that can lead to a lot of reckless play. And I think that we've seen that, for example, from German sides in, in the Champions League. I mean, how many times have we seen in Nagelsmann or uh, like, for example, take on Villarreal, who play at a much slower tempo and actually play defensive football rather than pragmatic, as people like to say, it's defensive football. Yeah. And comes come second best to a team that isn't something, isn't one that plays at such a high tempo, but plays with a lot of intelligence and technique and rather good positioning um, of their players. It's a lot about positioning. So I know that when it comes to older stars, yes, Italy tends to hold on to them a lot. But I think sometimes we don't mention the fact that, I mean, at the end of the day, Juventus got rid of Ronaldo, right? And he went to the Premier League. <laughs> um, but I guess it's Ronaldo, so it's it's a different type of level of player. And Albiol is still playing at Villarreal and he's, what, like 400 years old? So, yes, you're right. It is true. And Giroud, I think, is is somebody that's being called up by Deschamps because he is still really good. And what makes him good is not necessarily the slow tempo, but he makes a difference in the big matches. Like, he's the guy that you lean on. And and the fact that he's being called up again in these matches when there is such a flurry and so much talent going forward for France, I think suggests that he is somebody who they know can make a difference, even if he doesn't necessarily put in his best performances recently. So t- tell me what you think, because I want to bounce off. Yeah. The, the Giroud thing I really want to kick back on, because... I've heard this a few times recently, like people using it almost as like a, a stick to beat Serie A with, oh, Giroud still scores goals in Serie A, therefore Serie A is a, a league that's struggling. Could everyone just actually like stop speaking in these sort of sweeping cliches and, and talk in terms of actual numbers here? Last season in Serie A, playing for Milan, he started 22 games and scored 11 goals. So more or less a goal, well, not more or less, exactly one goal for every two starts. Previous season at Chelsea in the Premier League, eight starts, four goals. So all right, it's fewer games, but it's exactly the same ratio of, of game of starts to goals. For Chelsea in the Champions League, he played he played eight games, only two of them were starts. He scored six goals. So this striker who apparently only scores in Serie A actually scored like six goals in two starts in the Champions League. Go back the season before if you want to. 12 starts for Chelsea in the Premier League, eight goals. This idea that Giroud suddenly started scoring goals when he got to Milan is nonsense. He's always had pretty much consistently a very good return of of starts or minutes, whichever way you want to look at it, to goals, um, or at least very solid rather than maybe very good. He's not, we're not putting him in a sort of Benzema category, but he's a solid, reliable goal scorer who I think even as that Champions League number shows with Chelsea, has this knack of showing up at important times. And I don't think that's changed about him at all. So I think Giroud's become this really sort of false dialogue that's happened where people are misremembering what he did um, before he came to Italy. And as you said, what he does for the French national team as well. When we talk about the pace of leagues, it gets complicated. Mm. I think if you compare Serie A to the Premier League, I have absolutely no reservations in telling you the Premier League plays on average a faster paced brand of football than Serie A does. It just does. It's a more high tempo league. That doesn't mean it's a better league or a worse league. I mean, I think if you want to, again, be blunt about it, it's by far the wealthier league. And so you should expect a higher standard on average in Serie A, in in the Premier League than you get in Serie A. That's just the reality of of modern football is that 
the more money you have, and I don't even mean modern like the last five minutes, because frankly, when Serie A was on top of the world, it was because the presidents were spending the most. So, so that's, that's a reality. But I do think that um, it's more ambiguous when you talk about comparing the pace of Serie A to some of the other leagues across Europe. And I think it's certainly true that at the very top of Serie A, the teams that are doing best right now, your Milan, your Napoli, your Atalanta, they are the teams in Italy that are trying to play the fastest place football, that are trying to, to, to modernize in that way and, and do that high tempo football, which is why when you get Napoli against Milan, they play this brilliant high tempo game against one another. And it's also why Napoli ha- are able to then go into Europe and beat Liverpool and thump Rangers. Fine, it's, it's only Rangers, but they did win convincingly again. There are teams in, in, in Italy as well that are playing that, that higher tempo game now. And, and Spalletti is clearly trying to, to make that part of what makes Napoli work. So there's always nuance and there's always sort of, um, it's not as simple, I think, as, as comparing one league to another. Because I think even within a league, there's 20 teams in each of these leagues or 18, I guess, for the Bundesliga. And, and each of those teams has its own individual story going on. But I don't, I don't think Serie A is, is slow across the board. I don't think that at all. There is something that our producer pointed out, which is that there is some sort of like, Germans don't like Italian football. Um, there is sort of like a, a, a weird <laughs> like dislike for it. And I do see a lot of pot shots that come sometimes um, from German commentators or German journalists about Italian football. And to be honest with you, you know, maybe we do the same. But I don't necessarily agree with fast tempo equates to best. No, exactly. Best teams or that that it means that. Or sometimes when people say it's a very attacking team, so it must win. Not really. You could be an idiotic attacking team, you know. Right now, Atalanta, for example, is now a defensive team. It's the only team in Europe that hasn't conceded an away goal. So, and I and I like that they can do that. I think the beauty of Atalanta is that they can play attacking football. They can, and they're showing now, right now, that they have a solid defense as well. I think flexibility is what makes you a great team. The ability to play different ways. Um, I don't think Real Madrid were necessarily the fastest tempo team either, and they continue to win the Champions League based on pragmatic choices, whether it's substitutions. It takes a lot. And I don't necessarily think the things that we say nowadays, you know, oh, you've got to play this way to win. Not really. Villarreal showed us you don't. Carlo Ancelotti showed us you don't need to, even need to have a system to win. So it, it kind of, it depends what it is. But I also, I feel like at the end of the day, when you look at the World Cup or when you looked at the Euros, for example, you know, it was Gosens that stuck out. It was players that were playing in Serie A that, that, shocked us or did a really good job, you know, Miranchuk, Malinovsky, um, Mayele, for example, for a lot of those coming from Atalanta that were really making a difference. And so obviously Italy ended up winning the entire Euros. So <laughs> there are really good things. And at the end of the day, it's still the market that everyone goes to because you know that the players might not be, I don't know, running as fast as possible, but it's just a different style of football. And I guess that's why we like it because we watch different leagues for different things. and. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's what it is. But where four or five teams in Serie would end up in the Premier League? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, you know, it's it's being sort of like boring about it. I think it's almost an impossible question to answer because the whole mm. point is that all these teams play with such different kinds of football that you don't really know how those clashes would, would fit together. Like if you want to be sort of provocative about it, I could say, well, Napoli beat Liverpool quite convincingly the last time they played them. 
And, Almost all the um, time, by the way, when they play them. Well, yeah, they do have a very good habit of that, don't they? Um, and if you wanted to, um, for instance, go back to last season and look for a comparison, well, um, hey, Roma, who finished sixth in Serie A, played Leicester, who finished eighth in the Premier League in uh, the Conference League, and, and Roma won, and they deserve to win as well. Is that a fair indication then of, oh, well, therefore these teams are better than? No, not really, because that's not really how football works. Like when you play a cup game across one or two legs, that doesn't tell you everything there is about a team. Do I think that any of the teams, do I think honestly myself that any of the teams in Serie A right now could win the Premier League? No, but honestly, that's just because I think Man City will win the Premier League. And I think that Man City are, in terms of resources, just better than everyone in both those leagues. The number one stack team in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do I think that any of the Italian teams could fight for a Champions League spot in the Premier League? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think that probably yeah. right now, the two teams that I believe in the most in Italy, Napoli and Milan, could at least compete for the top four spots in Premier League. So would they get in there? I don't know. Like, it's a theoretical, like I can't answer it for you. But, but I think there are teams in Italy that could be in that competition, personally. The real question is, can they thrash Arsenal? Sure, yeah. I mean, if we're going to bully me for Juventus, we're going to bully Nicky too. <laughs> Top of the league, Mina. Top of the league. And it's going to last oh, you forever. You just wait. You just wait. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike every other bubble, this one's never going to burst. <laughs> you wish. You just said City was going to win. Okay. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> this has been a really fun episode. I was actually not looking forward to this one because in my head I was like, oh, it's the Nations League, really dull, you know, but we ended up having a, well, a fun one. We hope you guys really enjoyed it. And uh, it is a uh, different timing than usual. And we are probably a little bit delirious from being so exhausted and Nikki's having to deal with construction on her palace in Brighton, <laughs> seafront mansion. My, my gigantic one bedroom palace. <laughs> I, I always think of you being at like seafront, like drinking your coffee on the. Never mind. Ah, oh, we will get there, Nikki. <laughs> we just need a few more Patreon members. <laughs> just a few. Maybe <laughs> a couple of, like a couple of billion. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh my gosh. Okay, this is this is when you know it's gone late. Do you subscribe to become a Chronicles to Fozzy member? We need that patio. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Sellingatchronicles.com forward slash Patreon to get all and full weekly episodes, our individual voice notes. By the way, I never knew that I could talk in such monologue like amounts of time. Like I can really talk. <laughs> yeah, so you can get access to all of that and the entire back catalogue of our content if you become a subscriber. So do so and support us because I would also like a seafront board. You can find us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini, at Mina Rizuki, and follow Serie A Chronicles on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We promise you we won't disappoint. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Nikki. Ciao for now. I wasn't surprised. I, I, I actually really agree with Mina. I was like, oh, do I want to tonight? I'm tired. That was really fun. That was really fun. <laughs> it was good. Oh my God. It, honestly, it was- I, I, did, I did enjoy you losing the run of that last. <laughs> the patio bit just went completely, didn't it? I just imagine that. Um, we only just need a few more subscribers. <laughs>
Like a, a couple of billion, I think. <sighs> but yeah, that was a, that was a fun episode. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.